It is an honor to be in front of you again this week, uh, to, to be able to preach another sermon uh, before you all. I got to say, the more often I do this, the more daunting this task becomes. I, I was talking with some of some of our pastors about how humble, how humbling it is to be preparing uh, a lesson and to come before you and speak to you. And uh, God bless Darren for doing that every week. But man, it is such a humbling experience to know who I am, a flawed individual, and to come before you and, and try to present a lesson. And praise God that he comes in and, and, and makes all of that okay, right? And so this morning, it's exciting to be in front of you. All right, so we are going to be preparing for Thanksgiving. That is coming up this week, right? Believe it or not, it is here. I could have sworn that it was just Halloween, and I could have sworn that school had just started uh, a few months back, and here we are preparing for Thanksgiving. And I know, unfortunately, for some of you, that means we're preparing for what? Oh, Christmas, the dreaded Christmas before Thanksgiving. But yeah, it's here and we're preparing for it. So I've got a few slides up that I want to show you guys as we're preparing for Thanksgiving. So what does Thanksgiving remind you of? What does it look like for you? Well, it might be this first slide. It might be fall decorations, okay? I love the colors that fall brings. I love looking at the trees, watching them change. <clears throat> Even at the very beginning, you can just see at the tips, those leaves just kind of change and then come to the center. And, and it's just beautiful. It's uh, absolutely beautiful. And then for some of us, it means lots of family coming over to share a meal. And, and for some of you, that means stress, of trying to get your house ready, cleaning in all the spots that you haven't cleaned all year, but for some reason we got to have it ready for this time, and, and having lots of family over, and lots of family dynamics, right? Lots of different personalities. Sometimes we get along with our family, sometimes we don't get along with our family, and man, so it can be kind of a stressful time. But again, coming together to enjoy a meal and spend time with family might be what Thanksgiving is for you. Or... It is ham and turkey, okay? Come on, I know you're getting hungry now, right? Yes, thank you. All right, so a little participation here from you guys. If you enjoy ham at Thanksgiving, raise your hand. Excellent. You all are golden people. I love you. Um, and, and if you enjoy turkey, raise your hand. I, I don't see any hands being raised, so I think ham has it, all right? And then, all right, here, I'm going to throw this one out. I didn't, I didn't have a slide for this one. Who likes tofurkey? Okay, I see a hand back there, and, and way back there. Okay, tofurkey. Uh, we're, we're not going to talk about that. Um, yeah, all right. So, but maybe Thanksgiving is the Thanksgiving Day Parade. I see my in-laws over here visiting with each other. They love the Thanksgiving Day Parade. I never grew up watching that parade. I think I was asleep for one, uh, and two, I didn't really care, <laughs> and I don't mean that to be mean, but once I married my wife, I started watching the Thanksgiving Day Parade and all these huge balloons that, that go through the streets of New York City. But again, this could be a staple for you on thanks, uh, for what Thanksgiving is about. And then some of you, uh, some of you are into the sports, yeah, I hear some cheering and booing, um, 
You know, some of you, it is the classic game, football games, of the Detroit Lions, okay? Uh, again, I never used to watch the Detroit Lions until I married into this family. They've changed me. Uh, the Tr Detroit Lions, some of you are going, who are those people? I don't know. They, lo they lose a lot. Um, but <laughs> somehow, they're on the Thanksgiving Day every year, Okay. And then in the afternoon, we have the Dallas Cowboys. Um, yeah, wow, Darren, I'm so sorry. That is a lot of cheering for the Cowboys. Um, it, there's quite a rivalry within our pastoral group where it's the Chiefs versus the, uh, the Cowboys, but the Chiefs don't play on Thanksgiving Day, so I couldn't put them up here. Um, so anyways, uh, Detroit Lions or Dallas Cowboys. Another aspect of Thanksgiving we hear a lot about is uh, soup kitchens, okay, or just volunteering in general at some kind of, uh, of uh, you know, a non-for-profit. And interestingly enough, this is probably the most served day of the year, and I think that at any of these places, they're like, why can't we get this many throughout the rest of the year? Uh, so anyways, but this might be part of, of what you look forward to, is uh, giving back to those that are less fortunate. So Thanksgiving is a time that we reflect on all the things that we are thankful for. I know that sounds obvious, and it's like, duh, of course it's in the name, but how many times have we gone through this season without acknowledging the things that we are thankful for? I'm gonna raise my hand and say that I've done that before. Am I alone? Can I get some love here? All right, thank you. This time of the year, it gets so busy. We get bogged down with our shopping lists for food and for upcoming gifts for Christmas. We get bogged down with, I got to get the house ready for family. We get bogged down because it's a busy time of the year for a lot of us at work, okay? And so we get to a point where we just go through the motions and we kind of forget that, oh man, I have something to be thankful for, okay? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. What are you thankful for? Are you thankful for family? Sometimes. Amen, brother. <laughs> thankful for friends? Thankful for your health? For your home? Transportation? For food? Central Christian? What are you thankful for? This is that, that time that we get to reflect and think, man, God, what, look at all the great things that you've done for me. And all those, these, although these things are good, there might be an even deeper meaning to Thanksgiving that needs to be running through our hearts and through our mind. I would like us to spend some time this morning looking at a deeper meaning of Thanksgiving. Today, I want to to talk to you about how Moses began preparing the way for the Israelites to enter the promised land. Moses gave them a simple yet powerful prayer called the Shema. We will see how God's chosen people can show their thanksgiving through their obedience living out the Shema. To do that, I would like to first take you through a journey into the wilderness. Then I would like to break down the Shema. I would like to point out some of the nuances that, that are within it. And then I'd like to move into the practical side of things. 
So in preparation of that, I want to welcome up on the stage our scripture reader today, Hannah Rood. She's going to read to us this morning from Deuteronomy 6. So if you wouldn't mind, please standing as we read from the Word of God. Good morning, church family. Today I'm reading from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Church, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you. So you might have heard us reference this passage a few times in this church. This, this passage is, personally, it's one of my favorites. And as I've spoken with a lot of you throughout the, the last couple of weeks, um, it, it's, a, it's a popular passion, uh, passage uh, with our congregation as well. There's a lot packed into these few verses, and so what a, what a mighty prayer that the Shema is, and how, how wonderful it is that this would become the cornerstone of the people of Israel's faith and relationship with God. And so I submit to you today that this also should be the cornerstone of our faith and our relationship with God. So you might ask, why did the people of Israel have reason to give thanks. Well, this story is a tumultuous one, but I do want to go through a few of the highlights with you this morning. So let's step into the wilderness and see what God has done. First off, we have a people who were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years of treacherous work, night and day, no thank yous, but being pressed to work harder and harder, longer and longer, to get more and more done. God calls Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. Okay, so all of a sudden we've had 400 years of slavery, but all of a sudden this guy's going to come and he's going to lead us out of that slavery. God lets them know he has prepared a future for them in a promised land. And then God fights for his people through a series of plagues. God sends Moses in to talk to Pharaoh many times to say, hey, let my people go. If you don't, I am going to show you just how much I love my people. And he did that over and over. And finally, Pharaoh agrees to release the people. He finally agrees to release the people. Can you imagine what that would feel like? 400 years of being taken advantage of, of not knowing anything but just night and day work, not being able to relax. But Pharaoh agrees to release the people. On their way out of Egypt, Pharaoh changes his mind and says, you know what? No, I don't want to let my people go. So he sends his armies out to go get the people. And again, we're not talking about a couple hundred people. We're talking about 
a couple million people, okay? This is a lot of people. God guides his people with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. What an ominous thing that would be. Can you imagine what that would look like? To, to see God in the cloud and in the fire. And just to know that his presence is there. Protecting you as you travel. God does the impossible and he parts the Red Sea. The people come up to the sea and they think, we're doomed. We know that Pharaoh's people are coming back for us, but we've, now we've hit a barrier that we can't get around quickly enough, and we don't have any boats to go over it. We can't dig under it, so we got to go through it. Okay, God parts the Red Sea, and these millions of people start crossing on dry land. Crossing on dry land, it's amazing. And as the people continue to cross the sea, Pharaoh's people continue to get closer and closer. Just imagine hearing the chariots and just the the screams and and the hollers and and the anxiety inside you is is building and you're just wondering, is this going to happen? We can't get across fast enough, but they do get across fast enough. And then Pharaoh starts to come through on the same dry ground that the people of Israel are coming through, went through, and God does the impossible again. He releases the water, and he drowns all of the, of the soldiers. And I, can you imagine looking at that water, seeing the people coming down, and then all of a sudden not seeing them anymore, and just going, man, what a great God. What a great God. God provides manna and water through miraculous ways. So we're, we're going on our journey through the wilderness. We, we haven't gotten to this, this promised land yet, and, and we're tired. We're exhausted. We're, we're having to eat manna that probably doesn't taste great, okay? And, and, and we're, we don't always know where that meal's coming for. We don't always know where the water's coming for, but God, he provides that for them. And of course, they complain and they grumble, and they even go as far to say, you know what, maybe we should have just stayed back in Egypt as slaves, because at least there, we knew what our day was going to look like. At least there, we knew how much food we had. At least there, we had some stability, even though it wasn't great. So God allows them to wander for 40 years. And here we see the people spin in a vicious circle of trusting God, becoming frustrated with God, crying out against God, seeing the error of their ways, calling out to God for forgiveness and for blessings. Over and over and over this cycle continues. God uses the next 40 years shepherding his people to become the people he has called them to be. He is literally molding them into the people they need to be. Through that molding, God gives them 10 commandments. God gives them 613 laws for which they know how to do life. These laws, these commandments, what they show to these people 
is, that, is how to be in perfect relationship with him. The great thing about our God, the, the capital G, is that he doesn't just ask us to follow him. He lays it out for us. He doesn't just assume that we can figure it out. He says, no, I'm going to tell you how you can be in relationship with me. These are the steps that you can follow in order to be in relationship with him. That is just amazing. And so with these laws, we have everything from you shall not have, you shall have no other God before me to you shall not boil a baby goat in the milk of its mother. Yeah, there's some chuckles because that one's weird, right? And that's, that one's actually mentioned twice. It's one of the few that's mentioned multiple times. So you might ask yourself, what in the world? What, what do these laws have to do for them and, and, and for us? Why do we need to pay attention? And what, what do they represent? Well, what God has given them is these laws uh, to the people to show is to show that he loves them and he's laid out a path for them. He's given them these laws so that they understand that he wants to be a part of their every being. Every part of their day from worship to cooking, God wants to play an integral part in that. No other God communicates that way. It's amazing. So after that, God gives the people of Israel the, t- the tabernacle. Okay? Now God is going is to create a place where he can come and, and be amongst them to be present. God leads his people into battles. Some of these battles, they win. A lot of these battles, they lose. And every time one of those happens, a win or loss, God uses that moment to continue to mold his people into who he wants them to be. God renews his covenant in Moab. It says in Deuteronomy 29, 5a, I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn off your feet. That's what God is saying. Again, that's, that's doing the impossible, right? I can wear through a pair of shoes pretty quickly. And yet, the shoes weren't worn and the clothes weren't torn. God took care of them. Moses gives a final blessing to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 33. And then we see a guy named Joshua who is going to be the successor of Moses and he will lead the people into the promised land after they've conquered those that are already living in it. So from slavery to the promised land, it's been a wild ride for the people of Israel. You can read that and you just go, man, how crazy is that? That they kept turning their back on God. How they kept forgetting all that God had done for them. But guys, aren't we the same? Are we any different than the people of Israel? Do we not look at ourselves in the mirror at one point, look at ourselves again and forget who we were? Yeah, we do it all the time. God needed to spend that time with his people, helping them understand who he is and what he wants for them. They are a hard-headed people and needed lots of instruction. And we, too, 
are a hard-headed people who need lots of instruction. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. This is just another way that our God stands out among all the other so-called gods. He wants a relationship with us, so he provides a way to have relationship with him. You know, this was a 40-year lesson. That's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it, that's longer than I've been alive. That's a long lesson. Now, to be fair, less than a year, I'll be 40. So, for all you doing math, that's a long lesson. That's a long time to be promised something and to not see it come to fruition. Think about the lessons, uh, the, the, the requests that you've given to God. How long has it been since he answered you? Are you still waiting? Do you get frustrated when you don't get the answer that you're looking for right away? I know I do. I get impatient. I forget that God's in control. But look at this. 40 years later, he held up to his end of the bargain and delivered the people. It's an amazing story. As Moses is preparing the people to enter the promised land, he teaches them this prayer in hopes that as they recite it daily, they will not repeat the mistakes of their parents' generation. In order to do this, the people must learn to listen to God and love Him fully, above all. Obeying this prayer, they actually show God their thanksgiving. Now that we took a walk through the wilderness, let's take a deeper look at the Shema so that we can get a better understanding of what it is saying. Say Shema with me real quick. Shema. It's kind of a funny word, isn't it? Shema. Well, it is Hebrew for listen. Shema is Hebrew for listen. And so what does, what does that mean? What does it mean to listen? Well, this is a very common word in Hebrew. In the Hebrew culture, listening and responding are one and the same. That's an interesting thought. Responding and listening are one and the same. I know that my daughter is listening when she responds to me or my wife, right? If she does not respond, I might assume that she's not listening. And she's four, and she's already mastered that of not responding. And so we have to remind her, dear daughter, you need to respond to mommy and daddy. That way we know that you are hearing us and responding to us. This call to listen is more than to simply hear the words of Yahweh, but to fully respond with their whole life. And like I just said with my daughter, it's not enough for her just to listen, right? She needs to actually do the things that we're asking her to do. Otherwise, again, we're going to question whether or not she's truly listening or not. And so we need to listen with our whole being. And that's what Moses is calling them to do, to listen with their whole being. To listen in such a way, it transforms how we think and feel. To hear it come into our ears and to just infiltrate our core. Moses is urging the people to daily listen to God in ways that transcend us, that take us to a different place. 
Even as I say these words to you right now, they seem foreign to me. Because we don't really live in a culture that emphasizes listening, do we? We live in a culture where it's go, 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 do more, do more, do more. This type of listening does not include multitasking, I might add. You know, the confusion there is that you might pride yourself on being able to multitask. Well, that's actually a myth. No one can actually multitask. Our brain was actually hardwired to do one thing at a time. And so God is calling them and us to focus our attention, to listen, and to respond. We even get a reminder of this in Psalm 46. It says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. No talking, just listening. No multitasking, just responding. So now that we know what the Shema means in, in, in listening, let's look at what it says. And I want to break this passage up into two parts, verses 4 and 5, and then verses 6 through 9. It's a, it's a very natural break. Verses 4 and 5 are known as the Shema, the prayer itself. And verses 6 through 9 are the practical ways in which we can live out the Shema. So beginning in, with verse 4 and 5, I want you to read with me, church. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Point number one is, we can show thanksgiving with our love. Right there at the beginning, it talks about with our hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God. And so in the Hebrew, love is called ahava. It is ahava. And ahava is more than our love for ham, turkey, chocolate, cinnamon rolls, ice cream. Is anybody hungry yet? Yes, me too. Yes, thank you. We're talking about a deeper love. A, a, a love that's deep in faithfulness. A love that has affection or care for someone. Maybe even a covenantial love that we have with a spouse. This love is, is not a duty. It is something that we, we get to do. This is something that we, we choose to do. And to kind of give you an example of a perfect Ahava love, we find that in John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave us his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. See, God didn't have to do that. He didn't have to give us his son. God chooses to do that. He didn't have to bring the people out of Egypt, out of slavery. He chose to do that because he loves his creation. He wanted to be in a relationship with us. And that is just phenomenal. Ahava. 
Point number two is we can show thanksgiving with our heart. And heart in the Hebrew is simply lev. So the Israelites didn't actually have a concept of the brain yet. It's kind of weird to think about, but it makes sense. But they did have a concept of the heart. And so they thought that all intellectual activity took place in the heart. And so it kind of makes this a little bit more real with love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your intellectual. See, the heart is the generator of of physical activity, of our physical life. Our heart is what pumps the blood to the rest of our body. It's a very important thing, our heart. It's the center of your intellectual and emotional life. We make choices motivated by our heart and by our affections. And so we need to love the Lord our God with love, with heart. Number three, we can show thanksgiving with our soul. And in the Hebrew, soul is pronounced nefesh. It's nefesh. And nefesh is used over 700 times in the Old Testament. So this is a very important word used a lot. The soul, the word soul is the common English translation for nefesh. But this word has a different meaning uh, that comes to us sometimes from the ancient, the ancient Greek philosophy. To them, nefesh was something that was contained in a, in a jar, or contained in, in, in some, something that keeps it inside. And then when you died, that's when your nefesh came out, was released out of the jar. But we know that to not be the truth here. Our soul is alive. We've got the Spirit working through our soul. We've got God interacting with us. It's amazing. The nefesh is our entire being, not just parts. It's all of us. And even though it is often translate, translated as soul, its meaning, it is meaning the whole human as a living, physical organism. There's a, a cool passage in Psalm 42, verses 2 and 3. It says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Now, as a deer pants for flowing stream, so pants my nefesh for you, O God. My nefesh thirsts for God, for the living God. Kind of neat to say it that way, isn't it? Nefesh, meaning our entire being, our whole person. Devote our whole physical existence to God, to the Lord. Life and body give thanks to the Lord. Next, we can show our thanksgiving with our strength. Strength in Hebrew is meod. It's kind of a fun one to say, meod. And this is not talking about our physical strength, okay? And I'm sad to say... It took me 39 years to realize that that's not what they're really talking about here. 
There's nothing in my strength that can, can show these things to God and be adequate, right? No, it's more than that strength. Mayod is an adverb, meaning very or much. Grammatically speaking, adverbs intensify the meaning of other words. So you might have something that says that I might tell you that I'm, I'm happy, but in, in the Hebrew you might see it as meod happy. I am very happy, or I am much happy. Or instead of powerful, we have meod powerful. Instead of good, we have meod good. And angry, we might have meod angry. Again, to intensify those words. And so also what you might find in the Hebrew text is putting meod twice. Meod, meod happy. Very, very happy. And so Moses is calling the people to love their God with all their strength or with all of their muchness. With all of their muchness. And so that's just kind of, that's just really neat to think about what those words mean, how they're a little bit different than what we think of, but how much deeper uh, meaning they give to this text. So now we'll, we'll start going into the practical. Practically speaking, what is Moses talking to them about? Well, verses 6 through 9 are where we're headed now. And I'm going to once again ask you to read these verses with me aloud. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Man, verses 6 through 9 really spell out what Moses is talking about. See, Moses gives them the prayer, this is what you say, and now he gives them the, this is what you do. And I love that. Because a little bit ago, didn't we say that the people of Israel were hard-headed people? Yeah, hard-headed people, stuck in a cycle, stuck in a cycle. But we are too. We are so hard-headed, and we needed this instruction as well. It's good for us to, to see that and to know exactly what God is calling us to do. You know, this, this passage is often spoken of when talking about family ministry. It is a lot of times the, the crux of, of family ministries because of, of, of how it teaches us to be in relationship with God in our home. Okay, this reaches out to everybody, to every household, whether it's a family of 10 or a family of one, God gives us instructions on how to, to live life. And the first way that Moses teaches us is he says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Many of you might think, well, what if I don't have children? Well, God's still calling us to be an example to everyone that we're around. 
to everyone that we interact with at the, at the grocery store, at the ball games, at school, at church. He's calling all of us to do this, to teach our children diligently. He, Moses clearly instructs these households what to do. The definition of diligent means in a way that shows care and conscientiousness in one's work or duties. Well, this is an intentional time of instruction. It's very intentional. He gives us very pointed ways of living out what he's asking us to do. And another way we can look at this, if we look at John 10, 1 through 18, we can see a detailed explanation of what it looks like to be diligent in your teaching, okay? John 10 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens... The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So as we teach our children... As we teach those around us, we should see them following us. My child, our child should be listening to our voice. She should know when we call. We should be making it clear to all those around us that we should know God well enough that we can hear him call us. We know when he's speaking to us. Because we have been diligently working with our children, with our friends, and our family. Second way that we can practically do this, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And so this is pretty simple. We don't want to overcomplicate it here. And we're not talking that you have to have these huge theological conversations all the time at home. This is just simply time with your family. Who here eats food? Come on, I've talked about it enough today, right? Come on, yeah, everybody here eats food. Hopefully at some point you and your family get together for a meal. Whether that's at home, whether that is at a restaurant, somebody's house, but you're gathering together for a meal. Use that time to talk about these things. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. We're already eating a meal, so let's just have some conversation while we're doing that. Let's be grateful for that food. Let's teach our kids in these moments. We might be sitting around the fire pit or the fireplace. Have a conversation about God. Have a conversation about Jesus. Talk about these things. Maybe you're outside playing catch in the yard or building Legos with your kiddo. Or if you're like my father-in-law, he still plays with Legos. Come on, that's a little more funny than that. These are perfect opportunities to have intentional conversation. It doesn't have to be so deep, and you don't have to get so nervous about it. Read a passage and talk about it. 
ask, how, do, how does this affect us? What is God telling us through this passage? Talk about your story with your kiddo, with your neighbor. Talk to him about how much God has blessed you in your family or how he's blessed you in your life. Number three, and when you walk by the way. Now, in our culture today, we don't really do a whole lot of walking, do we? At least not to work or to church. We do a lot of driving. Okay, so I submit to you today that maybe as we walk by the way, we teach these things while we're in our cars. Okay? The average American family spends nearly 11 hours a week in the car. 11 hours a week in the car. That is a ton of time that you could be intentionally using to talk about God, to talk about Jesus, to instruct your kids in these ways. Now, we can get busy doing other things. I mean, we've got cars that have TVs in them now, right? We, we can watch TV while we're driving to, to practice, to school. Uh, we, we can pop on the, 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 the music and just listen and zone out. I, I, would, I would encourage you to take time this week to talk about these things in the car. Even if it's just you turn the music off and have a conversation with God and just use those moments to be still and know that, that He is God. I know that we spend time in the, in the drive throughs picking up food, maybe not spending a lot of time in Chick-fil-A's drive through but other drive throughs you may spend a whole lot of time. Ah, see, I got you, Chick-fil-A. Just have to mention Chick-fil-A and you guys get rowdy. Take a walk with your family. Turn the TV off. Turn the cell phone off. Leave it on the table. Go outside and take a walk with your family. Notice things that you don't usually notice. Look at the things around you and think about how God is involved in all of this. How none of these buildings could be here without God giving us knowledge to build them. To think about how I never water the trees in my yard, but somehow they're still alive. Think about the root system that goes down 20, 30 feet into the ground where it is moist and that the trees can gain drink. Think about these things. Spend time with God. The fourth way we can practically execute this is when we lie down and when you rise. Growing up, our family had a tradition where um, I would holler, I'd get ready for bed, right? Brush teeth, get pajamas on or whatever that is, take a shower, and then I would holler, ready, dad? And then my dad would come back to my room, my mom would come back to our room, and we would have a family worship time. We would sing songs, we would pray, we would read scripture. My dad would tell me these insane stories that make no sense to me, even today. I mean, he, he had a character named um, Johann Schablachnik. And I don't know what I just said there. I think it's German because he spent time in Germany. But he told me these stories that still resonate with me today. 
They spent that intentional time with me in the evenings, closing out our day in worship, in prayer, in song. Maybe the evening time's not a good time for you. Maybe it's in the morning. None of your faces said, yes, that was a good idea. (laughs) Maybe it's not. I don't know. The point is to, to think about God when you rise and when you lie down. Let him be the first and the last thing you think about in your day. How many of you have actually fallen asleep praying at night? I do it all the time. And sometimes it's the best way to go to sleep. Because God just transcends you. He gives you a peace. And some may say, well, that's rude. Don't fall asleep. I don't fall, try not to fall asleep when my wife's talking. So why would you do that when you're talking to God? But man, there's just something that comes over you, gives you a peace that surpasses all, under, all understanding. So when you lie down and when you rise, spend time with God. The last practical way I want to look with you today is you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. So this one's a little more weird. And so as I was doing some research, I saw that uh, a quote from the JFB Bible Commentary. It said, many writers suppose this reference was made to a superstitious custom borrowed from the Egyptians who wore jewels and ornamental trinkets on their forehead and arm inscribed with certain words or sentences as, as amulets to protect, protect them from danger. And so when you think about it that way, it's like, oh yeah, that makes total sense, okay? Now, we don't typically have that same custom today. So what does that mean for us? What was Moses actually trying to get them to do? Well, the Egyptians would have adorned themselves with these things for an outward appearance. So I believe Moses is drawing in on this custom that they would have, that they would have been exposed to, to let their outward appearance be pointing to the right thing. To let your outward appearance be pointing to the right thing. And I think that's a lesson that we can too. Let our outward appearance point to the right thing. So all of these ways and all of this to say that God has done so much for his people that thanksgiving should be pouring out of ourselves. Amen? Our life and our person should be saturated with Yahweh. Should be saturated with Yahweh. He should be in every aspect of our life. From rise to shine. From rise to shine. The number of second chances God has given his people is immeasurable. From the clothing that he gave Adam and Eve before they left the garden to giving you and I another day on this earth to be an image bearer for him, God has blessed us. For all of that, we can be thankful. So, if none of that is convincing enough for you. Let me give you one more thing, and it's Jesus. Jesus knew that this was important. 
Jesus knew that they needed to draw near to these words because in Mark 12, verses 28 through 31, Jesus says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no great other greater command than these. Jesus quoted it. Jesus went to the Shema and said, this is where you need to be at. This is the greatest command. This is what you need to be about. Let your life be about those words. So think about it. Think about it in our terms. Just place yourselves in this verse. Hear, O Todd, the Lord your God is one. Hear, O Central Christian. Hear, O Wichita. Think about that. Think about the blessings that he has given to us. Jesus knew this would resonate with the people because they knew the Shema. They recited it all the time. So let us learn from our ancestors. Let us learn from them in this book that we have how to give thanksgiving to our God by obeying this prayer. Let's bow for a word of prayer. God, you are so good. You are so mighty. You are the God of creation. You are the God above all other gods. You are the one and only. God, you saw a reason to create us a reason to give us breath. God, may we glorify you with our life. May we not waste the breath that you have given us. May we honor you with our words. May we honor you with our love, our heart, our soul, and our strength. God, you are great. You are awesome. You are powerful. We are so thankful for all that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.